The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to remain standing for just a moment. Turn to the book of Luke in chapter 26 for our scripture reading. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. The word of the Lord says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Go with me to verse 46, if you would. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word today. The scriptures declare that your word endures forever. The truths that we see today are timeless. They are unchanging. They are so relevant to our lives even today. And Father, I, as a preacher today, I understand that my words cannot change anyone. I need your anointing, Father. So anoint me today. Help me to rightly divide and handle your word of truth. And may you give your people ears to hear. May our lives be changed even more today. May we leave this place because of your word looking more like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, it is no secret that one of my favorite authors and preachers of this day is Pastor Tim Keller. He's an amazing man of God. He's a prolific writer, and he has immensely impacted my theology, my understanding of the scriptures, and even furthermore, my philosophy of ministry. Well, that being said, about a month back, tickets went on sale for the Gospel Coalition Conference that is taking place in April of 2019. And I quickly registered for this event along with some other people from our church. And here are just a few of the speakers that will be there. We have Don Carson, an amazing speaker. John Piper, one of my favorites. H.B. Charles, a wonderful preacher. David Platt, we did one of his uh, uh, series not too long ago on Wednesday nights. And none other than Pastor Tim Keller. And I get this, I even registered early enough to be in one of Keller's breakout sessions, all right? That's how Dina felt when she registered for the Justin Bieber concert and she got backstage passage, right? <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. So that's a joke. My oldest son uh, is going with me and we are just ecstatic. But here's the deal. We are in this already but not yet season because we've already booked the tickets and the hotel God willing, we are going to this conference. We have access to the website. We get to read about the themes and all the bios of the speakers we're in. But we have to wait till April to actually attend the conference. So we're stuck in this place of already where we have the tickets, but not yet where we have to wait. And some of you understand what I'm talking about because perhaps you have booked a cruise for this summer. And you have one of those carnival countdowns on your desktop. Come on, I'm preaching. And it's counting down the days to your cruise where you will set sail on the sea. Amen? And so you know, like, it's already, the tickets are there. It's already booked. We've got our cabin booked. But you're just reminded every day as you're watching that countdown, it seems to get slower and slower. You remember, hey, it's an already but not yet season. During Advent... We look back to the Christmas story and Christ coming into this world in the likeness of man to be Emmanuel, God with us. That is the already. But as we talked about last week, we also during the season intentionally look ahead to the not yet where Christ is coming again. And that ought to excite us. See, the church is in this already but not yet season. Here's the already part of it. We who are in Christ get to enjoy the already benefits of the atonement, the work of Christ. Namely, we get the remission of sins now. We get right standing with God now. We get peace with God now. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit now, amongst many other things. We have a foretaste of the benefits of the kingdom of God. However... There is also a not yet for us. We will not know the totality of these realities until Christ returns again and he is coming. We still live in a fallen world full of pain and suffering. And as believers, we have, an etern we have eternal life. Yet, unless the Lord returns in our lifetimes, we will experience death. We're not bound by sin any longer, yet we experience every day a battle with sin. 
We are part of the kingdom of God now, but we only have a foretaste of this kingdom. But friends, there's coming a day when we, we, we will know the fullness of God and his kingdom. We will know complete victory over sin. We will have no more sickness, no more pain, no more loss. Jesus is coming again, and we greatly anticipate his return. We find this tension. I read this verse last week, and I would like to read it again. It says this, Beloved, this is 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and you ought to thank the Lord for that. We're his children now. Watch this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So last week we considered the story of Joseph and today we're going to look at the part of the Christmas story that involves Mary. And through this passage of scripture, I don't have time by the way to unpack every verse, I wish I did, but I want us to see mainly how we as believers can experience joy in this already but not yet season where we still experience pain and suffering and what it is to be in a fallen world. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we're immune from those things. No. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, and we feel that. Every one of us have experienced that. But in the midst of it, I believe we can have joy. One of the things that really strikes me as I read uh, the account of Mary is her joy that she has. I mean, this is massive news that she receives from Gabriel. She is a teenager. And by the way, she's not married fully at this point. She's betrothed, which is a little more serious than an engagement. But her marriage has not been consummated. Having a child out of wedlock would have been a huge deal in this culture. She receives this news, yet she has so much joy. And so as we look at this story, I, I want us to see three characteristics in Mary's life that surely contribute to her joy. And I believe these are principles or traits that we can emulate as Christians. And I think we must emulate these things if we are to experience joy in the already but not yet season. How many know the church could use a little more joy today? We got a lot of believers that look saved and mad about it. All right, we need the joy of the Lord. Number one is this, the first principle to experiencing joy in the already but not yet season is number one, obedience to God. Obedience to God. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. I mean, just put yourself in her shoes. Mary, without knowing how everything would work out, without knowing how Joseph would respond, without knowing how uh, the culture would respond to her, and she says, oh, don't worry, it's, this child is from the Holy Spirit. Do you think everybody would believe her? There was sure to be some social disdain. But Mary just trusted the Lord without knowing how it would all work out. Just, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. What faith? Let me ask you, do we trust God like this? When we don't see the whole picture, when God asks us to step out of our comfort zones, when God doesn't give us all the details, friends, we must trust and obey. I was 
thinking back to when I was called to this church. I was living in Greeley, Colorado. We were at a, a, a church that was run like a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was really stable, larger church. We were paid well. And we feel the call for personal reasons to come to Kentucky. And we feel the Lord strongly calling us to what was then faith-created assembly, now real-life community church. And the church, though it had great leadership before and, and had been a prominent church in years past, it had been through some hurts. And it was kind of a mess when I got here. And there was some, just some uh, discord amongst people. Um, the, the finances were a total mess. There were many, many problems. And I remember uh, the Lord calling me here. And I'd have district officials calling me going, do you, do you understand kind of what's going on at this church? And I'm thinking, Lord, what are you calling me into? And that first year, man, I thought, have I absolutely missed the Lord? But you know what? I remember just feeling called to come to this place and to stay and just trust in the Lord. And I tell you today, I'm so grateful I did. I wondered, how in the world? Lord, how in the world? Like, I know you've parted the Red Sea, but how is this ever going to work? How is this ever going to work? Well, I'm grateful with God, nothing is impossible. Where I'm thankful that the Lord, where there seems to be no way, He makes a way. He is faithful. In John 15, verse 9, Jesus says these words, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If there's a preacher or anybody else who tells you that don't worry about it, God loves you, and you don't have to, you don't have to follow the Bible, run from that teaching. All right? No, following the commandments don't save you, but we've said this over and over again. A real, true Christian, the bend of their heart will be to follow the commands of the Lord. And you may think, man, this is so oppressive. No, Listen to what Jesus says. This is why he, he uh, just implores us to obey him. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you to take away your joy. Is that what he says? No. He says, I've spoken these things to you. What things? The, the, the uh, command to follow his commands. That you, that he says, that, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, he's not trying to oppress you or take away freedom. No. He's giving you the way to true life. And he knows the way. He created you. He knows how you can live an abundant life. And it's not by disobeying God. It's by walking with the Lord. You understand this if you have children. Because you have likely said to your children or your grandchildren, your life would be so much easier if you just what? Obeyed. If you just listened, if you just did what we asked, you would have so much more joy. And friends, I would just submit to you that that is true for us as well. As believers, we would have so much more joy if we would follow the commandments of the Lord. For one thing, think about this. Disobedience is a sin. James 4, 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good, and does not do it, to him 
It's a sin. We have sins of commission, and we have sins of omission. Both are sins, and though there may be pleasure in sin for a season, there is no lasting joy in sin. It bites a lot harder than it blesses. It will take you further than you want to go. See, disobedience reveals a lack of trust in God, and there is no joy in that. To be frank, every one of us want what is best, wants what is best for ourselves, right? If we're honest, we want what's best. So think about this logically. If you go and, and you do not listen to what the Lord commands you to do, then actually what you're saying is, Lord, I know better from my own life than what you know. I used to tell my children, I, I still tell them this, I know you think you know everything, but I know some things that you don't. Amen? I, I've been some places that you haven't yet been. I understand some things you don't yet understand. You'll get, the, you'll get it one day, but trust me as your father because I want the best for you. And how many know that God's ways are above our ways? His thoughts higher than our thoughts, right? He knows better than us. And so we need to trust him. I'm reminded of the great hymn, Trust and Obey. How many remember that song? Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I fear that many Christians, quote, unquote, are miserable today because they're trying to live life their own way, yet call themselves Christian. It doesn't work. There's a second principle to experiencing joy in the already but not yet season. It, it is this. We must maintain an accurate view of God. Luke 1, 46 through 55 is known as Mary's Magnificat or the Song of Mary. And these words that she speaks, th these are considered a hymn of praise. When visiting her kinswoman, Elizabeth, Mary becomes so overwhelmed with joy as she and Elizabeth consider the goodness of God that she just begins to burst, overflow into this hymn of praise. And you know, when you uh, are happy, you can't help but sing. I mean, if you have a really good day, you'll be going through Walmart. And if you can sing in Walmart, you know, you can sing anywhere. And you'll be just humming a tune or whistling or singing or something. It just is natural. I used to get in trouble as a child because around the dinner table, I would be humming. And my mother would say, Chris, please quit humming while you're eating. But the deal was my mother's cooking was so good that I couldn't help but sing. Mama, if you want me to quit singing, quit using so much Crisco. Come on, somebody. We've got to maintain an accurate view of God, and when we do, I believe this, that we'll be so full of joy that we will just, we'll just have a song in us all the time. Mary's song, here's what I love, it's very God-centered. Her aim is to magnify the Lord not herself. Look at verse 46. She says this very thing. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which tells me that Mary's heart is full 
of the right thoughts about God because her song was overflowing from her heart, from her mouth, is about the Lord. Let's consider just very quickly Mary's song. Number one, she speaks about God's power and goodness. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Sometimes I believe we get too focused on the winds and the ways of life, the problems, forgetting that, listen, these things are no match for our God. Nothing shall be impossible for God. Mary speaks about the holiness of God, and holy is his name. As we talked about in our series on the holiness of God, the word holy simply means to be set apart. But God is not set apart from us like a table is set apart from a chair. No, he is transcendentally above us. In other words, he is not just different than us. He is above us. He is beyond us. God's holiness speaks of his perfection. It is the sum of who he is. I love what Piper says. He says that God is holy because God is God. Number three, Mary speaks about his mercy. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Are you grateful that we serve a merciful God? I love Psalm 103, verse 10. It says that he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Listen, if you're one of these people that's complaining all the time because life isn't fair, may I submit to you that if you are truly a believer, you ought to thank God that life isn't fair. Thank him that he hasn't dealt with you according to your sins, but according to his rich mercy. You know the difference between Christianity and every other single religion in the world? It's that the Lord doesn't deal with us according to our sins. See, every other religion, if you want heaven, if you want nirvana, if you want peace, if you want enlightenment, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to obtain, it's this. It's on you. It's karma. So you do A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, one, two, and three, and then they say you can get to God. Friends, that is a scary, precarious way to live. There are so many people that are, are banking on the good outweighing the bad to get to heaven. And if you believe that and you're okay with that, you have a lot more faith in yourself than I have in myself. Because I want you to think about this. Even consider the best of your works. Consider the times that you uh, serve in charity or you give. If you search deep down in the human heart, you'll see that most of those good works are done for selfish reasons. So even your good works may not count as good works. And so what is the standard? What is the measuring stick of good? Like you, you comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you, don't raise your hand if this is true, you might feel pretty good about yourself. Becky, stop looking at Adam. <laughs> you might feel pretty good about yourself compared to the person in front of you, behind you, or you might, you know, go to the supermarket and say, well, at least be like the Pharisee. At least I'm not like that person. But when you compare yourself to the holiness of God, that's the measuring stick. You realize like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. He was one of the holier ones among, or the more righteous ones, the more just ones amongst the Israelites. And he says, woe is me. 
I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what happens when you get in to the presence of God. However, thank the Lord for his mercy. See, he sent Christ to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Every other religion says, hey, you do this, this, and this, and then perhaps you can get to God. No, that's not what the truth says. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's this. You can never get to God by your own works. You deserve judgment. But he has not dealt with us according to our sins. He came down for us. Emmanuel, God with us, lived the perfect life, died a gruesome sinner's death, though he's the only one that didn't deserve it, bore the wrath of God. And because of it, that's the gospel. We have life by faith in Jesus. That is great news. God is merciful. Then she says, essentially, God is a rescuer. Listen to these words. I don't have time to unpack it, but just listen to this. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. If we will just remember the goodness and the majesty of our God, friends, we will surely overflow with great joy. So Mary maintains an accurate view of God. And you and I, we need to maintain accurate view of the Lord if we're going to experience joy. There's one more way to experience great joy in this already but not yet season. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's what I see in this text. Not only do you have to maintain an accurate view of God, but finally you need to maintain an accurate view of self. It's interesting here. Mary does not see herself as a somebody. I believe too many Christians walk around Forgetting where God's brought them from. Acting like they are a somebody. This is why it's important to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And remember, if not for grace. If not for grace. I love that Clint Brown song, Amazing Grace. His rendition of it. And he says, uh, where would I be? You only know. And the, the essence uh, of the song is this. If grace would not have touched my life. I have no idea where I would be, but I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. Verse 38, Mary says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I think Mary would be appalled at the way some people, uh, for instance, in the Catholic Church, magnify her. She didn't see herself like that. Sometimes we cannot honor her enough, but sometimes we can honor her too much. Mary sees herself as a humble servant. Whew. 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She doesn't say, oh, God has seen how awesome I am. He just saw my talent. No, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant, which tells me she was already a servant of the God uh, of God. And let me tell you, if you're faithful in the small things, you'll be used in much. The only people, see, who can truly magnify the Lord, the only people who can truly experience the joy of God are those who have a lowly estate. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. 
You recognize apart from Christ your own spiritual poverty. That is the road to God. That is the road to joy. We aren't saved or used of God because of the good in us. No, friends, it is unmerited favor. Paul said, I am who I am. And he calls himself in one place a chief of sinners. And he says, now as this apostle, I am who I am by the grace of God. And if we want to experience joy, we've got to have an accurate view of self. It's interesting here in verse 47, Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, which tells me she sees herself in need of a Savior. She sees herself as someone imperfect, someone who has sinned like all of us in need of a Savior. A non-sinner would not need a Savior. Some believe that Mary is exempt from the stain of original sin, but the Bible in no way makes room for this. For all of us, the Scripture declares, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mary is chosen. Yes, she's been faithful, I believe, in the small things. But she's chosen not because she's perfect. She's just a willing vessel, and God chooses by unmerited favor to use her. To experience joy, we've got to have an accurate view of self. So I'm mindful as I close that this Christmas season is supposed to be, like we sing, the most wonderful time of the year. And for many of us, friends, those words ring true. But I also empathize with some of you this season because I know that for those of you who have really been hurt this year or in years past, You've lost loved ones. You've experienced financial loss. Whatever it might be, this season can tend to accentuate pain. But I want to just remind you, even in the midst of the worst circumstances, you and I, we can have joy. Now, I've shared this list before, but I, I thought it would be helpful to share it again today. These are promises. What If you're in Christ... This is what the Bible, it's not exhaustive, but these, this is what the Bible says about you. I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but these are all come straight from scriptures. I have references if you'd like them later. But um, this is what the Bible says about you, and I pray this will help you have joy this Christmas season and every day as we find ourselves in this already, but not yet season. Number one, my salvation is fully accomplished. That's John 19, 30. I've passed, the scripture says, from death unto life. I've been quickened by God. I've been made fit for heaven. I have the forgiveness of sins. I am made nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm redeemed through his blood. I've been delivered from the power of darkness. I've been delivered from the wrath to come. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm an heir of God and joint heir with Christ. I possess all things. I am a new creature in Christ. I've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. I'm accepted and highly favored in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. I am light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. I dwell in Christ. Christ dwells in me. My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. I have an anointing, an unction from the Holy One. 
I've been called with a holy calling. I am chosen in Christ. I'm complete in Christ. I'm the beloved of God. I'm a child of promise. I'm a sheep of his flock, a member of his body, a stone in his building, a branch in his vine, a child of his kingdom. I was identified with Christ in his death and identified with him, hallelujah, in his resurrection. Amen. I can walk now in the newness of life. I can serve now in the newness of spirit. I can live under righteousness, 1 Peter 2, 24. I'm identified with Christ in his suffering. I'm being perfected, the Bible says. I'm not of the world, though I'm in it. I'm sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart. I am holy because he is holy. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm thoughtless in Christ. I'm perfected forever. I'm not my own. I'm a citizen of heaven. Hallelujah. Christ has made me free, free indeed. I'm free from sin. I have a sound mind. Christ has given me an understanding. I have the righteousness of Christ, sufficiency in all things. I have all things that pertain to life and to godliness. I have the armor and the weapons of God that I need. I have God's all-sufficient grace. I have grace to help me in time of need. God's power. I have access to the Father. I have a great high priest. Hallelujah. I have an unfailing intercessor. I have a righteous advocate with the Father for times when I sin. I have peace with God. I'm not done yet. You're not getting bored, are you? I have rest for my soul. I'm led by the Spirit of God. I'm enabled during trials and temptations. I'm given assurance by the Spirit. I'm given comfort by God. I'm not distressed. I'm not in despair. I'm not forsaken. I'm not in darkness. God is my sufficiency. God is my strength. God is my helper. I belong to a sovereign God who works all things together for my good. My God is for me. Who can be against me? Hallelujah. My every need is supplied. I'm his workmanship, sealed by God, kept by the power of God. Friends, I'm more than a conqueror. I have victory through Christ. Satan cannot touch me. I have a living hope. I have a glorious future. I have been given eternal encouragement and good hope through grace. I will sit with Christ in his throne. I will be with my God forever. If you believe it, somebody stand with me and give him praise. Hallelujah. So just in case you see the problems around you this morning, just in case you're dealing with trouble and tribulation, oh, friends, just get an accurate view of God and an accurate view of self. Yes, it's true. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But when you come to him poor in spirit and say, Lord, I have nothing to bring to the table but I come to you in faith and receive you as Lord and Savior. You get all of this and so much more. This is who you are now. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.